Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. He's to the 45. He's oh, to the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws it the run. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Tommy. I'm Robin, joined by my co-host, Stephen Brown. Stephen, it has been an interesting uh, weekend of football. I think Notre Dame is playing right now, if I remember correctly. Isn't Notre Dame Florida State, right? I think Florida State's playing. I'm not sure if they're playing Notre Dame. I don't know, whoever it is. Florida State's playing somebody. Um, but. Yeah. Florida State's up 14-7 uh, on Notre Dame. So how's uh, how's life? How's, how's everything going? It's good. It was good to have some football back on. Um, definitely took a toll on my body this morning, though. I was a little bit hungover, so I got a slow start. But uh, it was just good to have football on all day. I That's mean, true. That was just, That's true. It's good for the soul, you know? You forget how much you miss it. So Especially with fans. Like, after watching last yeah. year – We've got Boomer Sooner, Boomer Sooner in the comments saying, <clears throat> "Boys, I'm still mad and help me cope." So, <laughs> I, I'll, before we get dive into the game, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Moore Lions, my alumni high school. They broke the 21 year streak of losing to Westmore year in year out. They haven't won against the Westmore Jaguars since 2000 uh, since 1999. They blew them out 40 to 14 and everybody was shocked, including myself, but it made me proud a little bit, but yeah. So our, our, our good friend, Keithan, uh, that we all know is a Westmore <laughs> alumni. I told him to suck it and therefore he will now be eating at my dad's establishment this week, but let's dive into the game. Sooners defeat Tulane 40 to 35. Uh, the title of this thing is the, the Sooners avoid a wipeout versus the green wave. You know, let's go by the numbers first before we actually dive into the game. Oklahoma goes in the half, leading 37 to 14, outscored 21 to 3 the rest of the way. The Sooners have a total of 430 off, uh, 430 yards, 314 through the air, 116 rushing. That's like three and 3.3 yards per rush. You got the Sooners that actually forced three turnovers, but only nine points come off of it especially when two of them were on the other side of the 50 in which they could have really, really extended that lead and really forced Tulane to put their backups in early. Whereas Pratt, that dude is limping to the huddle aimed through the huddle every other time. 
And then the Sooners, of course, Rattler has two interceptions. Could have had a couple of more. But I'm going to defer to you first. What's your instant takeaway from this game? Uh, because in the end, we've had a day to reflect. The instant takeaway from a lot of people, including myself, was not necessarily anger. It was criticism. What are right. you thinking now? Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of work to do for this OU team. I think one thing that maybe they didn't go into this game, um, considering they're the number two team in the country, whether they played like it or not, you're going to have a target on your back each and every week. And if you don't show up um, early and often, people are going to beat you. And Tulane kind of exposed OU in that regard. Um, and, you know, they, they do have some motivation behind that game, seeing that Hurricane just rolled through New Orleans. They want that game, if had they won, would mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, I'm not sure Oh, you really consider them coming out there with a little bit of extra motivation. Um, the other thing is <clears throat> the offensive line um, is just not good. It's just not good. So um, I'm not sure exactly what the fix is. I think it got a little bit better when Andrew Rame kind of entered the game, mm-hmm. but um, they got they got some question marks along the offensive line for sure. And yeah, and so like instant takeaway for me is just like like you said, there's a, there's a lot of issues. They did get exposed by a well coached Willie Fritz team. JP <clears throat> from Fear the Wave came on and talked about how Willie Fritz took this program that initially was like 80 20 run offense and now took them to three straight bowl games, is likely to take them to a fourth straight. They've got a good quarterback in Michael Pratt that uh, the benefit is that he's still a freshman because of the COVID year. And that dude's a gamer. I mean, this dude was limping in and out of the huddle because OU punished him all <laughs> game. And he still was making throws in the face of pressure, still making throws while getting planted in the backfield. Kudos to him. But instant takeaways, I feel like there was that lack of killer instinct. I felt like yeah. the offensive line was an issue. I thought that there were just a lot of other things they'll get into for the rest of the podcast. It was, you know, if Oklahoma takes advantage of two of those or even one of those turnovers inside the opponents inside Tulane's 35 yard line scores touchdowns. We're not really talking about this game. We're not talking about Oklahoma defeating Tulane, but narrowly escaping Tulane at home 40 to 35. We're talking about, Oh, Oklahoma did what they were supposed to do. And we move on. Thank the Lord. There's no serious injuries. Right. But now because of what happened after halftime, shades of serious shades of Kansas State, people were worried about it, and rightfully so. So, as we watched the game, and I'll go first, three to four things that stuck out to me are this. And then, you know, of course, if you don't have those, you I'm letting you think on the fly. Three to four things that stuck out to me. Three forced turnovers, nine total points. That's not good. And God bless Gabe Burkett, right? The man oh, hit yeah. three 50-plus yard field goals and then missed, of course, at the end, the chip shot that would have just put the nail in the coffin. Uh, Rattler threw the ball 39 times. That is not something I, I expected 25 at the most. 39 times against Tulane. And I know Tulane, they're they're going to go to a bowl game. They might be a nine-win team and win the, the American Conference. They're that good under Willie Fritz because he's changed the culture. They've got a lot of guys. They dropped a lot of balls that could have, you know, really changed the outcome of this game. It looked like this. Spencer Rattler says it, but it looked like Tulane just wanted it more. It looked like, to me, 
things that stuck out to me that they were just going after the ball harder, that they were trying harder on offense. They were trying harder on defense. And lastly, it looked like the OU pass rush when they needed it, like when they actively said, oh, we need to actively do our jobs. We need to actively get after the quarterback. We need to actively disrupt the play. They were able to do so, which makes me think of those, you know, those things that when you're in elementary school or when you're in junior high or high school, when a teacher or motivational speaker says, hey, put your hands up as high as you can. And you put your hands up, right? (laughs) And then they say, all right, now put your hands up higher. And people end up putting their hands up higher and they say, well, why the hell did you do it in the first place? Why did why didn't you, why did I have to ask you a second time? That's kind of what I got from the defensive line, the defensive front in general. It did get better over the over the course of the game, but from where the fourth quarter was to where when you saw the game was on the line to where you saw the first and second quarter was, it's night and day from what you saw the effort that was there, which I thought was really really intriguing. And you know what this TJ Crosby brings up a great point. Tulane had less than 200 yards of total offense entering the fourth quarter. Oklahoma 21 to three after the after the first half. And so, what are what are three to four things that really stuck out to you? I think some of that. Uh, we'll start with the defensive line issues early on. <clears throat> they were rotating a lot of guys, um, and mm-hmm. in that regard, that they didn't really find um, their footing because you're going a series, you're staying out, you're staying out maybe two series and coming back in. Um, Later on in the game, they kind of went with their starters a little bit more. I think that's when you really start to see like that defense take over the game. So um, I thought uh, the rotation thing probably – I mean, we're going to talk about it soon, but the rotation did hurt Oklahoma a little bit, at least defensively. I don't think offensively. Yeah, I agree. Um, it really it bothered anything other than the offensive line. But, um, you know, I thought Jamie Hazelwood was a bright spot. I think um, he didn't really look too timid um, that we saw in the spring game. Mm-hmm. It didn't really look like he lost too much of a step. So I thought that was a, a big positive. Um, Billy Bowman looks like a dude. Billy Bowman looks really, really good. I thought um, yep. that was one of the highlights of the game. Was, along with Pat Fields, I thought Pat Fields played a really, really good game. Yeah, and I, I agree. And, and, and going on to that point you just alluded to is that Oklahoma, oh my gosh, it looked like they rotated the entire defense in offense, a lot of true freshmen. Anybody that's on scholarship got on the field. We saw Danny Stutzman out there that nearly made a play that ended up being a, a loss uh, on, from for Pratt. But you saw pretty much all scholarship players, which, to your point, I think did dis, did disrupt the calls coming in, the calls getting out there, the calls getting communicated. Uh, I think it. I think it, it was an issue of consistency of defense and offense, both on both sides, because you saw a lot of bodies being rotated on the offensive line with the Tulane defensive line. That JP again from Fear the Wave said the defensive line for Tulane they're not a joke. And Oklahoma has Nebraska not this coming week, but the next week, which their front seven, regardless of how not great their offense is, Nebraska's front seven is actually pretty good. So that'll be another really, really good test for Oklahoma going into two weeks. So the consistency of the offense and defense, you alluded to it. Is that real or no? How And, and I guess it you said it is real, but to what extent? To what extent is filtering in people on both sides of the ball, not having a lot of consistency of who's catching the balls or who's defending, who's making the calls on defense, who's getting the calls into the defense and communicating it and back out to their players. 
How big of that is the deal for like on a scale of one, meaning it's not that big of a deal to 10, meaning like it's a huge, huge deal. What, what do you think? I'd give it like a seven. And I think, um, you know, one example is probably Perry on Winfrey. Um, I don't think he ever really found consistency in his game. That was, you know, somewhat of an issue last season, but um, there were times where he absolutely disappeared um, and he was just getting buried by that two-lane offensive line. So I agree. Yeah. I think if you let him out there and play three, four, five series, um, he would have had a far better game. But as far as rotations go, I think on Oklahoma side, I think they want to know what they have. And there's no better way to do it than, than throw some guys in there. And I think, mm. um, you know, Reggie Grimes really shined. So that was a positive. Well, yeah. So um, while it does take away from performance, especially your stars, um, you do kind of find out who you can play and who you can't play um, going into the, these next couple games. I feel like I saw a lot of Corey Roberson and Isaiah Coe and Josh Ellison mm-hmm. and not that much of uh, Perry and Winfrey. And Perry and Winfrey is a guy that, you know, he it can be a game breaker. He can be a guy that can cave in offensive lines. But I agree. The lack of, lack of consistency, the lack of snaps, I think really messed with them. And despite everything else that went on, especially offensively, where they should know the system pretty, pretty well. The defense, those are the guys that consistently need reps, especially against a team that Willie Fritz, kudos to him, threw the kitchen sink at OU. He gave them so many different looks. And if you're rotating bodies in and out constantly, I get it. That's one of Grinch's deals. But if you're rotating basically every scholarship player you've got, for with the exception of Shane Witter, I didn't see him. I saw Jamal Morris in there way before yeah. I saw any Shane Witter, which I thought was interesting. Um, that's going to be a problem. And so Oklahoma, if they just if they win this game 52 to 28, nobody talks about it. But we go to halftime, we come back in, and kudos to Riley and Rattler. And I caught a little flack on the timeline for saying this, but Kudos to Riley and Rattler saying it out loud. Rattler says this, Tulane actually wanted it more. He's just blatantly said Tulane wanted this game more. Riley, in the presser after the game, suggests that he's got to get better in getting the guys to understand that, hey, like, you know, we're up three scores, we're up 37-14. He's got to get better at getting those guys focused on finishing out games, which makes me think, is he just like an awful communicator that <laughs> is like somebody that can't get the guys to play a full 60 this because it's not one singular issue. It's something that keeps on happening and happening and happening. And people are like, why does this always happen? And it's like something that we've been asking since 2016 or 2017, excuse me. And, you know, Brady Trantham, good friend of the pod and just good friend in general um, is going to hate me for saying this maybe, but, Bob Stoops never really had this pro- this problem, right? When Bob right. came out after halftime, they would bury their opponents. Lincoln Riley, this happens far too often. And I understand that there is some growth. For example, last year, Oklahoma lost these games. And Tulane, give them credit. They're not a bad team. They're a team that went through a lot. They're a team that had a lot of brotherhood going into the game and more motivation than likely you had to, to win the game. But my goodness, what is going on? Like, wh- where do you, what do you even think about this? About Lincoln Riley consistently coming out, getting ahead two to three scores, and then the next thing you know, the game's in jeopardy. 
Yeah, I'm not sure if it's, you know, obviously it is a Lincoln Riley problem because it's his team, but um, is it also maybe a Rattler problem um, in that regard? Because the offense does revolve around what Rattler does, and sometimes he will just stall out that offense. And, you know, to a degree, yes, the offensive line play affected him quite a bit, um, but you didn't see these issues with Rat- or, um, Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. They they kept their game pretty level despite, um, you know, what's going on around them. So Rattler's got to figure out how to keep himself engaged in games, whether it be um, you're up 30 or down 30. We saw it with Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. um, a couple of years ago when they were down at Baylor and he he brought the team back. Um, well, you know, he was a quarterback when the team came back. So um, I don't know if it's as much a Riley issue um, because we have seen instances where this team does perform in the second half. But under Rattler, it does seem to be an issue. So I think it's probably somewhere in the middle if it's if it's a Riley Rattler problem. It, I just it, it's it's unbelievable to me that this is a constant narrative of man. There's no killer. We've been talking about this for years. Where's the killer instinct? Stomp. Yeah. How stomp do you bury them? Bury them. Put them. Put them in the grave. Put. Give them the death knell. You know, like all that stuff. And we're still talking about it. And to me, I thought about it. In. Alex Grinch is in the same vein of Matt Campbell in which they both went to an institution at the D3 school. I came over Mount Union, I think, that they went to national title after national title after national title. Football guys, defense first. I wish that Lincoln Riley had a little bit more Alex Grinch mentality as far as bury these MFers, finish the game, finish the job as well as you can. And keep on going as much as you can. Because at some point, you see Lincoln Riley getting a little more conservative with calls. At some point, and and of course, we can say that they went for it. And he trusted Spencer Rattler, fourth and one at their own 50. And I said, oh, man, don't tell me they're going to run straight up the middle one more time. Yeah. And of course, they ran straight up the middle one more time. Kennedy Brooks tries to bounce it outside. And they lose it. And then, of course, Tulane takes over on downs on, on the other side of the 50. But... Alex Grinch always wants to go for the kill. And I wish that Lincoln Riley had more of that in him. And there are more other issues going on. For example, let's get to it. Offensive line woes. So looking at the grades going across it, pass blocking, they were actually pretty okay. Pass blocking wise, all the grades turned out not awful. Average, above average at best. Average for most, above average for many. Um... But run blocking, holy crap, three and a, 3.3 against a team like Tulane, regardless of how good their defensive front is, is not acceptable for an OU offensive line that many people expect those guys, especially that unit of five and more, those guys that rotated like eight to nine guys, to be in the NFL at some point. And it makes me think about this. Bill Biedenbo, does his seat get warmer Every single year this happens because we've been waiting for his offensive lines to improve the middle of October. And once they improve before or at that Texas game and after that's when the offensive line gets better because every single year we say the same thing. Oh, we're waiting for the offensive line to gel. Oh, we're waiting for the offensive line to gel as if that's normal according to every other team in college football. 
in in reality, that doesn't happen to every single team in college football, but it does happen to every OU team, uh, despite the fact the ones that with Creed Humphrey and the ones that won that offensive line war award, etc. They have those moments in which they are not able to gel until the middle of October. So, first of all, offensive line woes. How much of that is fixable? And secondly, does Beatenbow's seat get warmer? I'm not saying he's on the hot seat because he's an immaculate recruiter. He sends guys the NFL draft. But does his seat get warmer because of these slow starts until the middle of the season? Um, I do think the issues are fixable to a degree. Obviously, um, the center um, with Robert Congel or Congel, whatever you want to call it, Right. Um, when he came out of the game, you put Raymond, you saw some improvement there. You did. Um, Tyrese Robinson, his first game playing tackle essentially, um, mm-hmm. full time. So we kind of need to wait and see what's what he's going to pan out as left tackle or whatever you want to call it, Eric Swinton, Anton Harrison. That's got to get figured out, and I'm not sure if it will. Um, because they've had so much time to find someone to take over that spot and they continually rotate, it's always a position battle, and they're both those guys. Um, it'd be different if you're Alabama and they're both playing lights out, but yep. they both present their own their own different issues. So you know what makes um, me really sad about Saturday? Eric Swenson. Like, the guy that I hate on most graded out the highest, and Eric Swenson, he graded out the highest run blocking, pass blocking, everything else. <laughs> and it's it's unreal. We 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 slotted in Wanye Morris at that left tackle spot, but there's issues going on there that I don't even did he even see the field? I wasn't, I didn't, I don't remember seeing him. I, I don't think I haven't got the to, field. haven't gone to look back and see if you got any time. But, uh, as far as speed and bow goes, I would say the seat does get a little bit warm. Um, because you are costing yourself chances at playoff spots. We saw it last right. year. Um, and then, you know, you threatened to lose a game at, at home against Tulane. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley is known as an offensive guru. Um, one of the best in the country, but if you don't have an offensive line, he's just average. That's that's all it is because you can't win up right. front. You can't set misdirection up because you can't establish a run. So no play action. It's all very predictable. And we saw that on fourth and one when they went for it and lost. It was a very predictable play. But Lincoln Riley, like, what else is he going to call right there? Right. So. With that offensive line and it's stalling, I do think if he can't get it together, we start to hear you know, some rumors that his seat does get a little bit warm. I bet we do. Uh, Spencer Rattler is not the type of quarterback that he can sit back and throw 45 times, 50 times a game and be successful. He needs a run game. And the fact that the running game right now is just not good. And we did, we did this last year. We did this year before we did this year before that. It's not fantastic, especially with a guy that's not as mobile, like Spencer Rattler that guy's got immaculate arm talent. The angles in which he throws balls, the way he throws balls, that the accuracy in which he throws ball, in which he throws balls, and when he's given time is really good. But once you saw the offensive line, and when you saw he didn't trust necessarily what was in front of him blocking for him, you see, you saw him get a little happy feet and throw off his back foot more often than not, which led to a lot more issues in the game. I mean, like he had a couple more interceptions that like that. Pass interference call. There's a lot of people that'll say that that, that one that should have been a, an interception, 
there's some might that that might say uh that was holding before which i kind of agree with i mean the defender was holding hazelwood hazelwood was holding him he's trying to get open yada yada that should have been a two-lane interception regardless it didn't end up with points anyways and all that stuff but you know i do think a seat does get warmer because oklahoma isn't a is a brand in which you cannot wait till october every single year for the offensive line just to finally gel and figure out oh now we can run the balls besides the fact that kennedy brooks is is decent between the tackles good at reads eric gray the guy that we've heard all camp saying man he's making electrifying plays couldn't get anything going at all whatsoever he tried here or there and he made a couple of cuts that may look good but my goodness if the offensive line is blocking the way in which they could have it would have been a lot better but they couldn't and again give credit to Tulane they're a good squad but they shouldn't be at the level in which they're scaring OU to almost causing Oklahoma to lose their first home slash road game today's episode is brought to you by cars.com With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated, and you might have a lot of questions, like, what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or, what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news, State Farm is there for all your what-ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. That's problematic. That's a that's a big thing. And so I'm going to get on my soapbox real quick and talk about something that I mentioned. I mentioned that I'm tired of the first game mentality of people saying, oh, it's the first game. Don't worry about this. They'll move on. They'll get better, etc. Has the trophy been handed out yet? I No. Oh, the season's already lost. Those are responses I'm getting, okay? Here's what I mean by I'm tired of the first game comments attitude mentality. I mean, the Oklahoma Sooners, the team, the team, the coaches, obviously the department that makes the graphics and all the videos and all the edits have embraced that they belong in the national title picture. They belong in the national title game and that they're worthy of wearing national title rings at the end of the season. And then... You see what Alabama did. You see what Georgia and Clemson did. Despite despite the score of that Georgia-Clemson game, you saw what kind of level both teams were on. And you then you look at what OU is doing against the Tulane team that they should have put away early in the third quarter, but they couldn't. That's what I mean as far as I'm sick of the – oh, this it's just the first game. They'll get better. Well, if you want to be an elite program – especially with a team that has actively embraced what they want to do as far as winning a national title, 
then you need to embrace that. You, you need to embody that. And that's what I mean as far as I'm sick and tired of the, oh, it's just the first game mentality. Yes, it's just the first game. And you see actual great teams go out and dominate. Yes, has Ohio, did Ohio State lose to Virginia Tech that one year and end up winning the national title with a third-string quarterback and Cardale Jones? Sure, yeah. Oklahoma will undoubtedly get better. They do every single year. But if you want to be on par with the elite of the elite, if you're talking about, oh, we're going to go to the SEC and be a legitimate contender, this is not the way to do it. And that's not the way it's going to happen. And so so what is your what is your point of view on that? Well, I think this is more of a challenge for Lincoln Riley uh, more than it is anyone else because – um, we see how great he can be as a play caller um, and as a, as a quarterbacks coach, but at some point you're going to have to figure out what you are as a head coach, um, and you know what what kind of uh, what, what kind of standards are, do you want to have for this program? And that's what's going to separate him from guys like um, like Mike Leach mm-hmm. or Lane Kiffin, those guys that are really really good offensive uh, game callers, but um, really haven't found that next level of success um, as a head coach. So I think that's more of a Lincoln Riley thing. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I'm kind of concerned about all of this, right? Because like we said earlier, and by the way, people that are tuning in live, feel free to put your comments <clears throat> in the chat and we will answer those questions to the best of our abilities other than coping with your depression as far as what you saw yesterday. The Sooners are one to know, but if you will want to put your comments in the chat, by the way, if you'll listen to this on podcast version tonight or tomorrow, I mean, we have these live things, you know, weekly, but regardless, it's an issue and it's a Lincoln Riley issue. And we all crapped on Bob Stoops for being not that great of a motivator. And then you see Lincoln Riley with a three score lead. And you saw last year, they get to two and a half score leads, three score leads. And it didn't necessarily vibe. And you could take this as a positive. Whereas, you know, in Bob Stoops' 1999 team, where they were winning at Notre Dame, they still weren't the team that they are now. Like, now they're elite. In 99, they were learning how to be winners. Last year, they lost those close games. This year, they looked they looked adversity in the face and actually won a game that they should have won. But Kansas State, that didn't happen. Kansas State, it felt like quicksand. And it's like that movie, The Replacements, right? One thing goes wrong. That leads to a next thing goes wrong. And you start to think in your mind, oh, shit, here we go again. Like, this this is not good. And another thing goes wrong. And, and it just leads to a total downturn in what happens in the game. And so it's really, really concerning. So is the outrage, especially after this game, is it acceptable or no? To a degree, I think a lot of it's um, just a little bit of overreaction because um, you look at the things that are fixable, right? So first, you want to look at the offensive line, um, your center position, your starting center that went through fall camp didn't play uh, the first half. So mm-hmm. um, get, getting them together, getting them next to uh, Marquise Hayes and Chris Murray, who um, you know, despite having those couple penalties, had a pretty decent day, I thought. Um, wasn't great, but I didn't think he looked that bad. So um, that center of that offensive line, that 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 core of three guys, I think is fixable, um, and I, that's going to help you out um, as far as getting that run game going. 
Um, tackles, I'm not sure how fixable that is. I think you might just have to stream your tackles and see who has a good day and who has a bad day. Um, and when you look at the defensive side, I thought maybe the most glaring issue was the corners. I think thought they looked like a step behind of uh, Tulane's receivers who are not, you know, that fast of uh, receivers. So They did play a lot of press, too. Yeah, so we'll see if they make adjustments there. But uh, typically, you didn't see Woody Washington or DJ Graham be a step behind last year. So right. we'll kind of treat that as an outlier, and I think that is fixable. So, And I think there's a lot of things. I, mean, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of things in camp that are not in camp. I think there's a lot of things that they're going to address in film sessions that are going to be fixable. And so the question is, how much of this is fixable? Are there things that are not fixable? You just mentioned the tackles. Is this a situation in which they have roughly eight to nine guys that can actually play on the offensive line? And there's going to go week by week and see who's most consistent. For example, Eric Swenson, a guy that I've been just like completely crapping on for the last two years, but great at the highest against Tulane. Is he going to be a mainstay at left tackle and they're going to figure out who's going to be the right tackle guy? Is, are they waiting on grades and situations with the Wanya Morris situation to work out? Because I think there are a lot of fixable things going on. I think defensive reads are fixable. I think the coaching of Spencer Radler throwing off his back foot is fixable. I think that there are a lot of other issues going on are fixable, but the offensive line, like last year, in order to win a national title, it's not just skill. Yes, you win national title with all great offense, generational talents on offense. You win national titles with good defenses, but it all starts in the trenches. And if Oklahoma, Oklahoma's defensive line is really, really good. But the offensive line, if they're not that great, it's going to really hamper what they can do, especially with a quarterback that's not as mobile as Caleb Williams, which got a touchdown, by the way, on Saturday, which I was not expecting to see him at the game. Well, I was expecting to see him in the game, but, but not in, in that situation. Half. Exactly. Yeah. And so you said a lot of this is fixable. I agree. So, and I asked this to you and Brady, the last time we all podcasted together, which again, through the keyhole, go follow Brady. Fantastic dude. At Brady does sports, I believe. Wonderful guy. Wonderful person. Uh, does a lot of good things for the sports community in Oklahoma. I asked this to you and Brady. If Rattler doesn't make the leap in the jump, this past summer and fall camp as we thought he should make in which it doesn't look like he's made too much of a leap. I bet there's growth. Lincoln Riley has now trusted him to make calls at the line, but he's still throwing off his back foot. And that might be a situation in which he's at odds with his offensive line. There might be other things going on there that we're just like judging off of one singular game, but he wants to talk about po- drop, and, and then another thing that bothered me. He wanted to talk about drops post game. The man went thirty of thirty nine and wants to talk about drops, in which two of the th- two of the three incompletions were interceptions. One of them that should have been an interception, and then other of the drops were just completely wide open whiffs to Austin Stogner over the middle. That's one thing that the really really bugged me that he'd be he dropped that off. But again, what is the ceiling of this team if Spencer Rattler does not show he can take this game to the next level? Because clearly he had a really good day, despite the interceptions, thirty of thirty nine, over three hundred yards, accurate passes where they should be, 
But what's the ceiling of the team if he doesn't take that next step as far as throwing off his back foot in leading the leading the team? Because you saw where leaders should lead, where you saw where Kyla Murray, Baker Mayfield would take over games and be like, hey, we're going to go score. Didn't necessarily necessarily see that from him. But maybe that's just our view from the outside. We don't know what's going right. on inside the locker room. So does your opinion that if he didn't take that next step, Oklahoma still wins the Big 12 title or always gets there and maybe goes to the cultural playoff. Is that still your idea or has that changed after seeing them play Tulane? That's still my, my idea of, of their ceiling. I think um, the pieces around him are good enough to carry this team, at least to the Big 12 title, but uh, maybe not a playoff spot because they'll probably drop a game here or there. Um, but I think they'll get to the title, most likely win it, um, and that if he doesn't take that next step, um, that Big 12 title game is Spencer Rattler's last game in OU uniform. I think Caleb Williams probably plays the bowl game. Uh, this and I, <laughs> I agree. With that. I agree with that. I, th- I think he'll be likely done after this year. It, Pat Burrows from the chat says safety play has has been and remains the biggest problem defensively. I kind of disagree with that. I thought Pat a bit, yeah. made a lot of plays that saved touchdowns yesterday. I think he made a lot of plays, and I think. That goes back to our conversation earlier, and you can chime in on this, that they rotated in so many bodies that it made it hard to discern what exactly was going on on offense. What do you think about this statement from Pat? I think uh, safety play, it is still a concern. I thought um, Pat Fields played a little bit better than uh, DTY. I agree. Um, So I'll say Pat Fields, I'll give him a little bit of a stock up and uh, D2I a little bit of a stock down. So it kind of evens out in that regard. And the good thing about Oklahoma is that they have a bevy of defensive backs that now there could be things. So like, so, so Codner says, first of all, Codner says maybe they should go to a more zone blocking scheme. Well, that's part of the issue because they, they, they are kind of going to a zone blocking scheme and having Robert Congel in there kind of an issue especially when you saw rain get in there and that's when you saw kennedy brooks kind of break off some of those runs so that's why you want to get more consistency along the offensive line and then codner says there were a lot of busted coverages yeah yeah the 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 two lane tight end wide open several times what the hell i'm not sure who was supposed to shift over on that coverage but they did not do that that's one thing i pointed out before the play even happened i was like i don't think anyone's going with that tight end and sure enough, he runs for like 40 yards and a touchdown. And so do you think that is still an issue with the rotating in every single scholarship player? Or do you think that's a consistent, hey, we got the call in wrong? Is Or is it's it probably a, a little area? bit of both? It's probably some gray area because um, when you're rotating that many personnel, things do get mixed up. So um, especially if you're like... Uh, let's say Brian Osamo is in there. He's calling the plays. You take him out the next series. Yeah. You got a whole new play caller back there on defense. So um, I think things did mix, get mixed up, but I think also think Alex Grinch is going to look at this tape and, and find some things where he could have kind of schemed better. And like you, like you said earlier, these are things that are fixable. I mean, Brian Osamo being on the running back in the flat, getting caught up and hung up on, on, on Deshaun white, not getting out to the running back in the flat, to prevent some of those scores. And so, and so I think that was some of those issues and, and Cotner says, what's the linebackers of safeties on those busts. I think there are a lot of busts 
at the second and third level. And so I think that there's a lot to learn from this game, especially for Willie Fritz, who did throw the, like there were trick plays, all kinds of different other plays that Willie Fritz threw to Oklahoma and having Chip Long back there. Perfect pairing for that quarterback and Michael Pratt that just like, again, the man was hobbling toward <laughs> the huddles. He was getting and beat so, up. And so Codner says, was it bad communication? That's a great, that's a great question. I think it could be bad communication. I could be, it could be a lot of things. They just turned the X's and O's. Yeah. Something and, like that. Yeah. It could be an issue of execution. It could be their first game out there. And again, rotating players in and out one time is Jaden Davis. The next thing you know, it's Latrell McCutcheon in the very next play. I think there's a lot of issues that go on with that. And of course you're missing dudes like, you know, people don't want to hear this, but you're missing dudes like Trey Norwood who made the Steelers roster. That is a, who is a Swiss army knife that although his first couple of years were issues as him making business decisions with his body and not really tackling people and getting out of the way Swiss army knife that really understood the defense and where to be. And, you know, credit to him, those last five to six games of his Sooners tenure actually made a lot of really good plays for Oklahoma. And so let's go on to the last thing. And I know people will still make comments. What are positives to take away from this game? Because although there were a lot of things that we saw that we're like, oh, my gosh, that's an issue. That's an issue. This is an issue. This is an issue. What are things that we can take away from this game that we thought were maybe positives? I think the biggest positive is you came away with a win when you probably shouldn't have. Um, you know, we you look at this game last year, maybe against like a K State, they definitely lose that game. But Oklahoma found a way to win. Um, it wasn't pretty. It was um, it was just bad execution. But um, despite you know how many like 10, 12, 20 mistakes, they they ended up winning the game. So um, I think that's the biggest positive. If you win when you're not playing well, so. Um, I will also say I pointed out earlier, Jaden Hazelwood doesn't look too hesitant on his knee. Um, that that's big for the receiving core. Um, I thought, uh, the defensive line depth looked better, especially Reggie Grimes. Um, Clayton Smith looked good out there. I think he and Jordan Kelly was a no go or else he would have been in. Yep. Yep. So I think that defensive front seven, I'm pretty excited to see what adjustments they make and see how they, they play probably against Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, this next game, it's it's a confidence builder. And when you play with confidence, yeah. I mean, that's – you look at it last year. Like, look at Isaiah Thomas. When he found that confidence, completely different player. So, yeah. um, you know, they have a lot of mistakes to correct, but they came in with a win, and now you can build off of that. I think positives, three forced turnovers. Three. Yeah. And you could have had a fourth in that Billy Bowman when he – oh, my. The guy's five foot ten. That dude jumped – five foot ten feet in the air to almost intercept that ball. little handstand afterwards and and yeah and did the handstand afterwards like seriously that dude's a playmaker and so that's a positive speed d actually getting to the quarterback disrupting it just man some busted coverages that led to issues and then losing guys in zone coverage over the middle specifically the tight end at the end but still forcing turnovers three and then you've got you could have had more. So that's one thing. I think the defensive line, when they wanted to get pressure, especially toward the end of the game, you saw it. You yep. saw them penning their ears back, 
one gapping, getting disruptive as shit in the backfield and really forcing the hand of the offense in order to force that turnover on downs against Tulane. That's the stuff that you want to see. That's the stuff that should have happened the entire game, but now they were motivated at the end of the game with the fans in the stands also cheering behind them. Another positive I saw was Marvin Mims. Uh, again, still a playmaker, still a guy. Wish they would throw to him more often in the second Kennedy half. Brooks would be in that, that conversation. Kennedy, of course. Um, and, and, and Pat Boros says, hey, a positive, important. Burkich's range, again, Three of three from beyond 50 every time they would he would win. He had room to kick. A lot unbelievable. Of those, so. Unbelievable. Yeah, he could have he could have made some of those from many of those from 60 plus. And the thing is, is that unfortunately, three of the turnovers only led to nine points, but you get a guy that can get those 50 yards, 50 yarders, and every time they land up for the field goals, like, oh man, like are you really going to land for this field goal? Are you really going to trust gay Burkich with this? And then every time until the very end of the game, when you need that chip shot the most, yeah, just missed it, but still a good positive for him because heck, remember the last time we saw Mike, Michael Honeycutt where his only playbook his only play in the playbook was put it between the uprights. And you got a guy like gay Burkich that comes in and is able to put it through the uprights 50 plus three, several, three consecutive times in a row. Kudos to him. Um, but man, that that's all I've digested as far as from what yesterday. Another positive, nobody got hurt. Yeah. Nobody got hurt or seriously hurt. I mean, people are gonna be banged up. Like Marvin Mims really caught a shot over the oh, middle. It looked like it hurt so bad. I, I was worried he had broke broken ribs, but he's fine. Uh, but nobody got hurt. Then a goal next week is get more reps, more reps, more reps. Don't get hurt and prepare for the Nebraska game. Otherwise, that is all I have for this post game. Do you have anything else? I will be missing next week's game and probably the post game podcast. Rats. I will be in Austin, Texas. I'm going to be hanging out with Sarkeesian for the weekend. All grass See what he's up to take him out to the bars. I heard he loves bars, so I'm excited about that. Oh, oh my god! Have a couple <laughs> drinks, Sark. They had actually, honestly, no, no lie. They they had a pretty positive showing against Louisiana. Um, it wasn't bad. You know, I thought it was all Bijan. No, oh, he's great, if, if, right? He's got to stay healthy for them to go anywhere. And when he went down with the cramp, just like everybody else this last weekend, it got worrisome. And I was like, oh, no, that is bad for them. But it's good seeing Texas have maybe, I don't know, because Louisiana Lafayette, or now just known as Louisiana, is actually a pretty good squad. And see Texas take care of, the, take care of them the way they did is good for the Big 12, no matter how how much you think, you know, how, you, how much you hate Texas. Like, I also hate Texas was rooting for them to lose. But it's good to see them play well because that means the Red River shootout that you're going to see in October is going to be a better game than ones in the past. But other about than Kansas that, storm in the field, oh man, against South Dakota, part of the Jayhawks. It takes a lot of guts to storm the field against was it South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota straight yeah, up. It takes a lot of guts to do that, but they, they went out and did it. Nearly losing to Northern Iowa once again, and probably going to lose to Iowa also once again. But the Big Twelve went nine and one. Hey, you know, I, I was I was That's optimistic. Better than I thought. Kansas State beat the hell out of Stanford. 
24 to 7. They almost blanked them. Which is good news for the Big 12, but yeah. Of course, there's more things to talk about. This is just a post game. We'll talk about other things later on in the week, but that's it for me. Anything else? Go join Discord. Hey, yeah, and I'm going to link it in the podcast description. Uh, I'll start to post more things from Spotify because we are on Spotify. We're on Apple. We're pretty much on every app. I did notice a trend that people are actually using Spotify more than Apple, so I'm going to start to just you know link the Spotify link instead. So, again, thank you to everybody that listened. Thank you to everybody that tuned in and asked us questions and commented actively. We appreciate you, you, appreciate you guys for doing that. Again, we're going to continue to keep on growing this podcast, especially live and fan interaction. We want you guys to interact with us. That's the whole point of these live podcasts. Uh, if you guys are listening to this in podcast form, either what is it, Sunday, which is kind of like extra extra Saturday for folks. They don't have to go to work tomorrow because it's Labor Day. If you're listening this, to this in podcast form, hey, you know we're going to tweet out ahead of time that we're going to be live. Come and join us. Drop a five-star review on iTunes, anywhere else you guys can. It helps us be more. It helps us be more uh, visible to ever, everybody else that's looking for a good Sooners podcast. And we really appreciate you guys' continued support. We're looking forward to more more games. Not looking forward to paying for pay per view. And again, <laughs> one last time, baby, because they ain't gonna be in the SEC. They're not gonna be in the Big Twelve next year. Maybe, maybe might be twenty twenty three. Who knows? But could be the last time you ever pay for a pay-per-view game or a Sooners game. Uh, you might just be looking at the SEC network. Otherwise, thanks for joining us. You can follow us on Twitter at CCMachine, at JLarryShields. Jack doesn't join us for the post games. You can follow me at CameraBeanCCM. That's on the video. You can follow Steven at OUUpdateSB. You guys can follow us everywhere. Again, Discord link's going to be in the podcast, podcast description. And thanks. See you guys later.